You are listening to the podcast Invisible Fintech, Open Banking and APIs hosted by Amit Goel and Sally Rabindran from Medici. Hello and welcome listeners. I'm your host Amit Goel and this is the place where fintech banking and technology folks learn about how financial firms old and new are leveraging the power of APIs. Fintech companies have looked at API first development for long but banks and FIs have the potential to unlock everything from individual digital services to a full API ecosystem of developers and partners. We cover many facets of the API revolution in this podcast such as open banking, open APIs, banking as a service, financial infrastructure APIs and fintech APIs. And how these open several new business opportunities for banks, fintechs, and tech fins around consent-based data sharing and open API-based integrations. The whole world is building on APIs. Don't be left behind. Learn, collaborate, and execute fintech. Welcome, folks, uh, to another exciting episode of uh, Invisible Fintech. Uh, of a podcast uh, that you have been giving us rave reviews about. Um, today is a special day. We have uh, Sujata, who is the senior director of FIS. Uh, she runs the payment business for FIS for Asia Pacific, Middle East, and Africa regions. Uh, a very well-known figure in the banking and fintech circles. Um, we we have always known her as the leader who set off like the very first set of API banking initiatives in the country at RBL Bank way back in 2013-14. And uh, Sujata is an industry veteran with over three decades of experience in you know, various leadership roles in banking and technology, including once at RBL Bank and Oracle. Um, prior to FIS, uh, you know, Sujata was the head of digital and new initiatives at RBL Bank, uh, where she strategized, set up, and ran the BAS platform. And she was very instrumental in how RBL transformed itself into a digital leader bank that works very closely with FinTech ecosystem. Thank you so much uh, for joining Sujata and happy Republic Day to you. Yeah, happy Republic Day to you too, Amit and Salil. Thanks for having me over. Open banking sure. is a topic that's very close to my heart. So um, very interesting uh, topic. Uh, happy to share my views and feel free to, you know, prod me into areas where you feel that I need to focus more. Right. Great. And we are also... You know, this is something that we care a lot about. And, you know, I know as a, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about these things, but sometimes, you know, you have to kind of focus on this. So we, we are very particular about bringing uh, women leaders uh, as well to our podcast. And I always am very, um, you know, excited when, uh, you know, a woman leader is there on our podcast. So thank you so much for that. Um, and Salil and me had decided that we will actually sort of, you know, do this more often. Um, my first question to you, Sujata, will be that uh, you were kind of the first one to put API banking on the scene in India, right? We were we were talking to Rajiv some time back at RBL, and he, he was uh, he he kept talking about how you brought that whole concept to RBL, right? So to begin with, uh, I wanted to ask you that um, you know if you can talk about uh, the evolution of open banking and BAS initiatives in India, and yeah. from the point of view of adoption and maturity, uh, you know, and mm. specifically, you know, if you could be you know, either very sort of critical or uh, very, uh, you know, praiseworthy of how banks have lived up to their potential in the last few years. Are you satisfied? Uh, you know, was there more that could have been done or less that has been done? Uh, you know, that's kind of my first uh, question to you. Sure, Amit. Um, 
yeah, more than happy to speak about the evolution because I um, kind of lived that journey uh, from 2013, I would say, 13, 14, I would say. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, kind of give you a sense of what was it like and why a platform became necessary. Uh, if you would say, you know, open financial services for a moment, I think, uh, or, or call it open data in a way, you know, um, mm -hmm. it always existed uh, at, at some point in time, you know, it's not as if um, banking as a service or an API platform, you know, enabled it to go viral or uh, uh, create an internet uh, economy type of growth. But, you know, people were still doing, uh, say, if you look at Buildesk or um, Buildesk, they were giving their APIs for doing payment transactions, right? So there was an element yes. of integration that was happening, but it was not platformified. That was, I think, the first thing that I want to bring to the table that APIs always existed, but nobody thought of it as an API economy. Uh, that is the first thing, right? And the other part of this is like in India, uh, it's very different from what you see in other countries because in India, uh, API economy grew on the back of the need for innovation, the need for creating something on top of existing products to offer something new to the market. So uh, to that extent, um, API economy in India has grown very, very differently in comparison to most of many of the countries where I think it started with a regulatory driven uh, structure. Okay, and I, I feel that banking as a service or open banking as a separate business model uh, evolved post this era in something around 15, 16, I would say. And um, why was it so important? Uh, why did we see this coming? Um, in my view, it came from the fact that uh, much before this, just to set context, we were anyway doing API-led business, okay? with the And this was in the 13, 14 era when uh, DMT, uh, you know, domestic money transfer was uh, starting out as a business. And I think that's the, I would say that was the point or the, the, the space in which we started thinking about how um, you can reach a larger audience with just a little bit of enablement. Uh, okay. And at that time, uh, BCs were looking to do this business to take it to the tier two, tier three, um, uh, the domestic money transfer to the tier two, tier three towns in India. And what was really happening was that all these migrant laborers would come to the to the cities, they wouldn't have a way to transfer money. And then these BCs were kind of enabling it. Today, it's a very well-established business, but at that time it was in its nascent stages. And BCs were looking for a cheap, simple, stable, reliable, and technically risk-free solution. And RBL Bank, uh, offered Adbil Bank and Yes Bank, I would say, we were like the people who kind of started out this process and we started offering our APIs to these BCs for them to get a more seamless experience, no file uploads, no recons later on and so on and so forth. So we started offering API, but it was still clunky. We had to do uh, VPN setups. We had to, uh, it, was, it was more an ease of integration conversation. It was not a channel. It was not a business model. None of that was actually there in the 13, 14, era. But as we started going through the process, we realized that there is an opportunity to convert this into an API economy, uh, so to say. And one of the things that uh, really helped us, um, you know, uh, think through this was that we started seeing opportunities in so many different uh, areas and platforms. So uh, I would say what started off as a simple process of creating APIs, which simplifies integration strategy, makes it easier, uh, what was looking like an internal IT uh, innovation, um, it took 
this does the scene of actually becoming a changed business model uh, i would say in 1560 when and and then the thought that we need to uh, put a platform together came into picture and now uh, when you enter an api economy of course it's an entry into completely uncharted territories right so um, you know you are you are going to be leading partners uh, you're going to take them along and uh, uh, with the explicit objective of actually innovating on the top but at the same time you are also uh, enabling um uh, uh, how do you call that a cambrian explosion so to say to just simply bring more and more transactions onto uh, the platform and uh, we saw right. that and it was very simple right we we just put imps on the platform and we saw this explosion of transactions on our platform right so so this is the starting point so to say when we we said okay here is how we will start it and as we and i i remember we used to and when we decided we were going to put the platform we would anguish over and what really made the difference between uh, a vpn integration to an api platform is that simple customer experience the way the customer onboarding was happening onto the platform the way a partner could simply understand what to do and test on his own and get himself ready um it if we anguished over things like how do i ensure my documentation is okay how do i ensure that my uh, pr productization of the apis are okay see um the thing that people kind of should not think in a in an api uh, led open banking structure is to think that you expose your backend apis to the front and you have got a platform ready no a platform needs to be user experience oriented right and so we spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out how to productize it in a manner in which it's the easiest api to integrate with and a lot of our inspiration came from companies like stripe etc who done a phenomenal job on the payment space right so right that's that's where i think yeah go ahead amit you have something to ask no no i i completely agree i mean you know the stripe documentation is kind of a gold standard in in the entire space so totally agree with you absolutely and and we in any uh, you know i would say that even um, rbl banks um, documentation we we completely uh, labored over it to make sure it was really a nice piece of document uh, so when people think of apis they think technology and i keep saying that it's really that's the easiest part what you need to do is to make the customer experience really nice right um and what we also did was to then start taking these solutions and bundling them into more composite solutions so we started saying industry segment solutions and so on so the innovation was happening on both sides through fintechs and us as a bank trying to innovate our apis as well in a way now when i when i think through this whether api has reached its potential my honest answer is no um because i think um, what really is happening in the industry um, is two things okay uh, this is uncharted territory and then to understand the risks and the legal aspects of it is not uh, completely fully understood i think so most of the times the innovation has became become very restrained to customer and account onboarding and um, payments um, but a bank does a lot more things and um, i would say that to the dream for me at least would have been to kind of put all the apis uh, out on the platform and build a really strong uh, governance layer at the back um i think it is still demand led and not uh, supply oriented and 
uh, that's the piece I think that requires a little focus. Um, I think there's lots to be done there, uh, Amit. Uh, I, I, I think um, uh, when, when, when the bank starts pushing out uh, APIs, which are well imagined towards the end customer experience and uh, make sure that uh, the rest of the governance and the risk piece is covered, I think we would have uh, really achieved um, uh, 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 success in the real sense is how I have I've always thought. Right. No, very well articulated the, the journey of India in open banking and, you know, uh, API banking. Salil, over to you. I think you had a few questions. Yeah. Thanks, Amit. Hey, Sujata. I'm really happy to have you on this podcast. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, on open banking, this is a topic which is very close to my heart as well. We've known each other for a very long time now, and you've been a great mentor in my early part of my career. So... I'm really happy to have you on this uh, podcast. And, you know, I can actually figure out the way you've thought through this whole thing in the last 10, 15 years, because we worked together in the early days when core banking was mm. you know, getting evolved. Uh, so, you know, um, I'm really excited to have you um, on this podcast. So quickly to come uh, into some of these questions I had in my mind, uh, especially from the bank's perspective. Mm. By the way, you know, this is the first time we are having a banker side perspective uh, in this podcast, we've had, uh, you know, the demand side, like you said, uh, mostly, yeah. uh, except for, you know, a solitary case of Solaris Bank, where you can think of them as both a bank and uh, a BAS platform. So that's my question. You know, uh, when people talk about open banking, and obviously the objective of open banking is, you know, fostering innovation, uh, you know, improving competition, um, bringing down uh, price, transparency, and so on and so forth. And all of this is, you know, very uh, uh, consumer-centric if you look at it. So that's where people see the glamour of it. But what is the strategic importance of API banking, BAS open banking, whatever you call it, from the bank's point of view? And by that, what I mean is um, how much of a sort of a boardroom conversation is this? Is, this? is it really something um, which is as important at that level or is it mostly still a very technology-driven initiative from the bank's point of view? Um, definitely, I don't think, uh, I, as I told you in, in the earlier part of the conversation also, is that one should never, at least, uh, I have never treated this as a, as a technology conversation at all, right? Mm. Uh, you know, just to kind of play this a little differently, Salil, um, when, as you grow, go ahead into the next decade of banking, I feel uh, technology and banking are going to get interspersed completely. So one has to look at this as a predominant shift in a business model and not really about uh, technology enabling a better integration model. So right. um, really it's it's not a technology issue. It's a strategic decision. It's a very, very clear uh, uh, go forward decision in terms of thinking very differently, right? Okay. Just to kind of uh, bring together uh, the thought is that traditionally how is a bank segmented? The bank is segmented into large market segments like consumer banking, corporate banking, treasury, private banking, and so on. Now, when you look at it, it's it's a monolith. It's like large, right? When when somebody decides to, in contrast, go into an API-like uh, structure or an API-like economy uh, uh, construct inside a bank, 
you are kind of disintermediating everything. You are now saying that I'm playing in the smaller niches. I'm going to serve micro segments. I'm going to create an ecosystem platform. Uh, completely different. And this pans across all the, all the large um, structures that exist in a bank. Uh, the, it can it, it can intersperse a retail banking transaction with a corporate banking transaction seamlessly. And um, that is the value of this entire thing, right? Now, many a times this conversation uh, we've had, and, and it is indeed a boardroom conversation is, are you planning to be front to back uh, one integrated piece? Or are you willing to disintermediate various layers um, which actually exist? Uh, not necessarily technologically, but business-wise in a company, in a, in a bank, right? So think of it this way. Uh, you have the distribution layer. A bank has a distribution unit, right? Then you have the channel layer, which is basically your web channel, your mobile channel. They all exist, right? That's the, the technologically uh, enabled distribution layer. You have the physical distribution, your channel distribution, I would say. Then you have the processing layer, which is like your core banking, your switches, your uh, processing platforms, and so on and so forth. And then you have your license, which is the bank's license, which gives it, the, which is the trust, the authority that exists for someone to exist in the financial services market. Um, the question really is, is a bank, bank has traditionally, you know, kept this entire, all the three or four layers of business uh, with themselves and they have innovated at all layers and done great job, I would say. And, uh, you know, um, while, while, you know, I am, I am of the view that FinTechs take great pride in saying that, you know, they will chip away on the sides of a bank. But I think the bank as an institution has built its trust over a long period of time. And each player, be it the FinTech or, or the bank has a role to play in this, right? Now, really the bank needs to take a call whether they are willing to get disrupted on everything other than the license piece. And, um, the, and at the same time have the ability to uh, control and govern what's happening on that platforms. And this requires a material structural change in uh, the way you think about risk, the way you think about marketing, the way you think about legal, the way you think about how you position your brand, everything just changes. And what would be a reason why somebody would uh, do this would be to say, uh, can a bank, um, and, and I'm, I'm for a moment keeping the very large banks aside because uh, they would uh, possibly approach this very differently. But I'm just saying that apart from the four too large to uh, fail kind of banks, can banks serve billions without having to put physical infrastructures in multiple places? Can they uh, pro, uh, you know, process billions of customers, billions of transactions? Uh, can it be a, a prepaid minutes purchase like a telco? Uh, can, you, can you think like that? If you have to think like that, then I think a platform economy is a given. But as I've explained, it is a cultural and a mindset shift. It is not a technology change. It is a complete change of the way you approach the market. And um, it is, I would say, uh, there is a symbiotic relationship uh, that one should perceive in all of this because what is happening in, in the course of uh, this whole process is that we are allowing for a digital distribution to be created. We are creating the possibility of a physical distribution to be created. We are creating the possibility of enhancing the basic capabilities of, 
of your uh, your base uh, of your products into something more enriching so uh, for a moment if you look at our early stage uh, partners like zeta in rbl bank uh, they actually took the prepaid platform which always existed with all banks and converted it into a very very beautiful expense management platform which transformed the way in which corporates did expense management now right. now this is where i'm saying that you are one is creating the ability to enhance what you have to offer a lot more to your corporates and your clients so uh, definitely i say i would say that uh, this is this is a completely transformational way of doing business it cuts across the various uh, business lines that exist adds value to all the business lines uh, but at the same time one needs to kind of start thinking very differently about risk and what how do you control the distribution model how do i make sure that uh, you know one of the things that really you know used to worry me in those days and we tried and found a fix to it was like i am exposing an api to a to a, a fintech Uh, if the fintech in turn exposes it to ten other fintechs, I am exposing myself to risks which are uh, with a multiplier effect because I am not looking at the third level of um, uh, risk layer, right? Yeah. I'm only looking at the immediate fintech. So these are things that one needs to consider. But well, uh, business is about managing risks, and and that's how one has to look at it. Uh, the the thing which i think uh, which now rbi is looking at even more critically is the fact that um and in the in the area of nbfc you know rbi has just come back and said that uh, look um, people who are doing financial services and are equally important to a financial system are going to get regulated to an extent they're going to get bring in rules and regulations i think that that kind of thing brings a lot more sense to this uh, this business structure that is currently evolving and um, and i would say that um, while all the innovations happen uh, banks have to uh, focus on this core that they build their brand on which is trust and hence focus on risk governance and uh, uh, risk governance and uh, brand management uh, and allow the uh, you know innovation to happen on the top uh, and that's the core uh, uh, area of um, uh, of banking as a service is how i would uh, articulate it right right and we are, and we'll come into that con uh, those considerations in a while on the due diligence part of it mm -hmm. um, no i think uh, you know absolutely this also kind of explains uh, the reason why you know um, it takes a little bit of time to establish partnerships and onboard uh, people because that's a constant uh, uh, complaint from the fintech side you know, mm -hmm. you know banks take a lot of time to go on i mean it's not as easy as uh, one would think it's not a simple tech integration it's not about availability of apis but it's about connecting various other aspects and ensuring that the bank is uh, uh, you know Is standing onto its uh, uh, the trust element that it brings on board. So those kind of yeah. things do matter a lot. Let me just uh, bring you into something a little bit more uh, macro in nature, which is you know this whole debate around uh, the way open banking is uh, uh, driven and implemented in different countries. So various markets have adopted um, open banking as a regulation driven top down. by the central bank by the government in many cases uh whereas we have sort of left it to be a, a sort of a market led uh, initiative 
on the digital foundations that we have built through India Stack and other things. Um, now that has its own set of um, uh, problems, not really problems, but it kind of, uh, when you leave it to the market to evolve, you know, it happens at its own pace. Do you agree that the current approach that we have in India um, is sort of what we should have done or should there be more uh, governance and, uh, you know, sort of, um, legis should it be more legislative from the central bank side to drive this a lot deeper? As has um, happened in no, so first is, and, uh, other places. Yeah. No, so uh, no, no. I believe that uh, a market-led initiative is always far better because it uh, creates a far more um, demand-oriented uh, model, right? I mean, in the sense that uh, people's keenness to innovate uh, brings in a change, and hence the market runs towards it is a far better thing to do uh, than to bring down a top-down approach and. Uh, we did see right in the uh, when it came to PSD2, it had to be banged on in people so that you have to comply, you have to complete by this date, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, that was never the case in India. Banks were kind of saying, How do I get my platforms up and running? How do I, uh, you know, enable partners to come and uh, work with us, and so on? So, see, um, I think the fundamental uh, belief system that first of all needs to be broken is that is a partner. Um, cannibalizing my business or he is enabling my business. That's that's one part of the story. Uh, before I get to that part of it, um, I'm, I'm saying again, reiterating that I believe a market-led model is far better. Why so? Because the holy grail of digitization is about a boundaryless, cashless, paper, paperless financial services offered to billions um, and through multiple countless points of access and so on. Now, all of this can happen only if it is innovation-led. If it is um, mandated, then it is a job that a compliance unit gets done and you are getting a certification and then that's the end of it. You are not really pushing the envelope to say, how can I do this better and take it to more people than you are already taking it to. So I think uh, absolutely it has to be market-led. But can a market-led model be left to govern itself in its own way without any uh, governance, um, it's, it's the same story that I talk about free market dynamics. Uh, it, no free market can, should be allowed to run away in its own way without a little bit of checks and balances here and there, right? I mean, right. Um, even while driving, you have your checks and balances and that's the piece that I think that we need to kind of uh, work through. Now, if you look at the way Australia has done it, right? They have used it as a customer data rights uh, issue. They have said that right. it, it is, it is a way in which they will ensure that customers' data rights are protected. Singapore has, for a, for a moment, taken a slightly more open approach with the light touch um, model of um, of um, you know governing. Uh, India has kind of you know um, I think moved really fast into this, and it really it's been it's been a combination of you know NPCI innovating with UPI and so on, banks putting their APIs on the platform. So. Um, uh, I think all the uh, tight governance on areas which get diffused in such an environment is, I think, still some some work needs to be done. I am seeing uh, conversations around data privacy, consent architecture, um, uh, all of that, but we do not have a singular focused open banking related um, uh, regulation. Um, 
or at least a market standard which is put through a bunch of people who are you know working to create these platform models uh, it has to come through i feel because um, uh, you know the other area which i really wanted to speak about was that most of the people who have put um, uh, what my understanding of what has happened in various industries is people have still not actually focused on areas such as legal regulatory customer service they have focused on how do i standardize the apis how do i it still remained on the technology side right. and i've been kind of um, uh, feeling heavily and i think i'm seeing some of those aspects coming in the brazilian uh, changes that they're saying i think i but really i think what needs to be focused on is not the technology side because i think uh, it's not so important in the the way in which the world's technology environment is changing to standardize apis i think some non standardized apis creates innovation also so i feel that more has to be done on the legal regulatory framework and the customer service related stuff like how do you uh, resolve disputes how do you make sure who owns the disputes where does uh, the responsibility end between the various stakeholders and what and here i would like to not only keep banks i'm just saying that assume again you know going back to the three layers you have the channel you have the processor you have the license holder which is the bank and if you were to play uh, you know uh, comfortably in all areas depending on what kind of bank it is i'm saying there is so much of diffusion of responsibility in all the four layers right the the guy who is distributing the product the channel the processor uh, who is sitting in the middle and processing transactions yeah. and the guy at the bottom who holds the license um there is so much of diffusion of the whole customer aspect of it and i think uh, that is something that i would uh, uh, really focus on the other and area that is uh, actually reflected in i mean the best example is upi so yeah. multipartite in one way uh, you know uh, it's great to actually break apart a whole chain and Uh, let each of the individual parts innovate on their own with interoperability but then what has really not been sorted out is exactly what you're talking about you know okay. when something breaks we don't know who's responsible where should the customer run to this is in a way it is set down here and there in tncs but i'm not sure if it is still a very mature way of uh, doing it absolutely uh, absolutely and do look at it this way right um, uh, the other aspect you know salil just think about it um look let, let's take the digital lending case which has become a big story now uh, even in china we saw a lot of uh, right. uh, you know um, uh, the government coming down strongly on certain aspects and so on now you you look at what really happens right is the concept of transparency is not 100% right what data of your process being taken uh, what is it that uh, they are going to push back to you in what manner is is the lending product is really the way you perceived it to be none of this is really very uh, clear and um, you know a simple thing like you know when today uh, you kind of install most apps uh, there is a cookie which runs at the background and and remember that all of this trays into multiple different areas of digitization this is not necessarily only open banking but mm. the key thing i'm mood point that I, the key point that i want to make here is to say that when a bank puts its brand in the front and where they are seen as the most trustworthy people in an ecosystem i would imagine that um, uh, ensuring that the transparency layer of what is going to happen with the client uh, 
it has to be focused on and, and regulations around that are very very critical uh, because that can get actually lost in some of these things right because a bank is forced to give one uh, one even if it is in fine print it's still something that one is uh, forced to do but as it as you start opening up to the front layers and the channels and the distribution layers forget some of these things it could put a customer at risk and it can put the bank at risk it can put the fintech themselves or the distribution partner himself at risk so i think that's an area which i think a lot of focus needs to happen on how you ensure that some of these things are taken care of right. and um, uh, according to me um, you, this is not uh, uh, your your question on you know um, whether the current approach is right i do believe it's absolutely right this is where we will be able to innovate more uh, i just believe that we need to kind of create a forum um, and and regulation is not necessarily government driven only or rbi driven or something like that it has to be something in terms of principles of operation that needs to be kind of put together as an industry i sincerely believe in that right yeah wonderful um let, let me just get you back uh, let me just get you back within the you know confined boundaries of what's happening within a bank in the context of um, uh, baz now um, obviously you know uh, you know at the ground level you need to really do some level of technological rearchitecting redesign you need apis and so on and so forth and you, you would obviously expose those apis outside and that's how this whole thing works and uh, i know for a fact that um, most of the banks including rbl um, makes good use of those apis internally itself um and for good purposes you know to ensure that the architecture is good and so on and so forth but what about reflection of true bas on the business side of things now what i mean by that is um is it really has it really if you leave aside uh, you know things like payments and uh, the Uh, early bmp business correspondent kind of examples you took if you leave those aside do you believe that the work that banks have done uh, in rearchitecting their platforms and setting up a sort of an api banking layer has it really reflected on product innovation itself within the bank itself for example there's plenty of room and scope within the business banking side for this to be manifested in product innovation is that really happening within banks and i don't mean products being offered by fintechs but what about products being distributed manufactured and distributed by banks themselves why is that not really coming out um, at least very explicitly see uh, salil i believe that it's a matter of uh, choice um, of how uh, one will use these platforms right um I, and i like to answer this um, in a in a very uh, different way okay uh, what i'm saying is that for a bank um, uh, product innovation is a given okay now one of the things that they are used to uh, banks most banks are used to uh, doing is to distribute them in their more traditional structures um, they have yet to kind of use um, digital means of distribution in a very very effective manner and i'm i am i am saying this with a little bit of uh, hesitance because there are some very successful uh, uh, pro- products that have been launched like kotak launched 811 rbl launched its own uh, automatic account opening models and so on so it's not um, that banks are not able to do it but the 
our problem is this right is that they have multitudes of products and uh, they will have to choose any one of them to innovate on whereas a cusp uh, and uh, a fintech or uh, in short tech you take, take any one of them they are focusing on a micro problem to be solved to the best possible method so it eventually means that all of them will then eventually land for the uh, financial side of closure to a bank right but they, they they are everybody is focusing in a very micro manner so so obviously it's a very large funnel outside there are hundreds of access problems to be solved financial inclusion problems to be solved experience problems to be solved um uh, for instance when i say financial inclusion doesn't necessarily mean that tier 2 tier 3 clients look at the young college going student his financial literacy is so poor so here is a person who is doing financial literacy and uh, getting young clients uh, young students onto a platform is a bank capable of you know covering some 300 400 fintechs uh, existing today and compete with them at an equal level i think that's a challenge so they choose they choose the areas in which they will innovate and the areas in which they will want to partner um unless you are you built a reach over a period of time and so have been kind of saying that i can do front end back end combined so um, salil uh, i think it's a mixed bag i think there is no definitive answer but uh, one of the things i think uh, when somebody launches a bas platform uh, uh, and which is very um, it has a lot of soft factors to be done but i'll i'll give you the nab experience which i thought was amazing uh, where they actually allowed uh, the the internal banks uh, digital distribution layer to compete with the bank itself and opened it up differently i think those kind of things if done where the channel um, seller of a bank has to compete directly uh, with a fintech i think a lot more innovations will happen automatically but yet they will not cover the span of for fintechs existing in the industry and they will have to choose their that their areas where they will focus on so yeah. i think it's putting too much pressure on banks in fact i think platformification of their banking itself is a very large uh, thought Area process on its own. yeah it, yeah yeah it's a it's a very big uh, innovation on its own i i yeah. would say that's right back to you amit sure so uh, so yeah i think it will be uh, you know only fair to also talk about uh, you know fis and uh, you know the way that company has been growing and transforming you know over the decades and i know that you guys are offering uh, you know back end rails to support innovation in in this space in this region now um, so from you know what i wanted to ask you is that what are the what are the products and offerings that you have within within your sort of department in payments and and also uh, how do you kind of look at it from a competitive standpoint when there are like startups who are also operating in this financial infrastructure api space and offering credit card issuance and so on and so forth see um in my opinion no again going back to that same construct and it really sits very well with me in my head is that um, mm -hmm. we have the distribution layer channel layer processing layer and the license layer and in payments uh, pretty much even a non bank can own all four right and especially a company the size of fis can choose to do that also because uh, the the ability to kind of navigate in the market uh, and and the ability to uh, innovate on all the four layers exists with fis but it's a matter of choice how you really operate and 
Uh, and in my opinion, there is enough innovation to be done even on the pro so so if you if you uh, really look at us as a company, we are uh, predominantly a processing player. Okay, uh, not only in India. Uh, if you see where we have the largest presence in the US, uh, we even run a separate network called NYCE. So uh, we are obviously a very um, a very processing oriented uh, uh, player. Uh, it also adds, but with with the Acquisition of WorldPay, FIS has kind of swerved itself into the area of distribution and channel as well. So if you see WorldPay today, uh, they bring um, a, a very naturally strongly built distribution uh, capability, which is direct to corporates. So um, it's a matter of time when this kind of goes country by country and you know the global presence is established. Uh, but having said that again, um, it will be counterproductive, and this was one of my, uh, which is one of my things that I keep saying. Large uh, technology companies, it's very, it's very, um, uh, it's very wrong to kind of assume that you will play in all the layers and not partner. Uh, and so we, as a processing player, have started uh, kind of uh, making our platform um, in a way in which it is fully bundled and solutioned in a way in which. Uh, no different from um, a, a banking uh, API platform, but a purely payments processing focused platform where we offer everything, issuance, acquiring, the whole uh, nine yards on uh, risk management, reconciliation, loyalty. You get all of that together and then you are able to kind of give products, right? You can say that end-to-end -end, uh, prepaid processing complete with everything, just put whatever you want on your uh, user experience side and you are completely sorted. So uh, that's exactly how uh, we would possibly, you know, uh, directionally go. Um, is that, um, uh, if, and why is it so critical is because at the end of it, I think everybody has, um, you know, specific strengths and skills and everybody, if they play to their strengths, it's always so much better. What I notice is that as uh, many many of my own fintechs who I have worked with very closely in my past uh, job, um, they they have started kind of building the whole uh, stack. Now, what really happens is once you you become so large and you start handling all the stacks, you actually lose the nimbleness because now you're then uh, mired with two hundred problems which are related to every layer of your technology. And I think. Uh, in real fact, if you are able to do a tripartite, and this is something that I keep, uh, you know, uh, uh, discussing, it's 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 something that I want to kind of, uh, you know, sort out is to say, why should somebody always look at it as only bipartite contracts? You know, uh, for these platform stories to work, these this, from a legal standpoint, if you are able to make it tripartite, where the license holder is the bank, the processing layer is a company which is like FIS, and then you have the distribution and channel layer, which is a fintech, uh, you are so much better off, right? So I, I just believe that wherever you are, whatever you do, I think there is an opportunity to play at all levels and also partner and uh, be able to uh, with defined, um, well-defined uh, guardrails in terms of who plays what role and how we kind of have a clear understanding of uh, not stepping on each other's toes, uh, you can build a very nice partnership model even between two tech companies. Uh, I, I would say that's that's how, um, uh, that's the reason why we today provide processing. Uh, uh, in the last year, we've kind of done quite a few deals with fintechs uh, where we are offering pure processing APIs 
uh, we are taking uh, and making sure that they are able to kind of offer their uh, own solutions on top of it. So I think there is, uh, and, and the other part, you know, uh, Amit, uh, what really happens in many banks who kind of get into this uh, API story uh, without tying in the back end, uh, it can result in a lot of um, uh, uh, open, um, uh, oh, uh, you know, they leave themselves open to a lot of uh, fraud and risk uh, issues, which is where, you know, something like this kind of covers them better because they remain uh, as a, they, they keep their, uh, they outsource technology, but don't outsource technology and operations and everything to a fintech partner and then are left open. Uh, in, in such kind of an architecture, I think uh, everybody remains a lot more safer in terms of uh, risk and fraud management. Uh, that's that's the broad thought process. And I think uh, we, we, we are uh, working very hard in that direction. Right. And, you know, this may help our audience, which also comprises of a lot of fintech startups, as well as, you know, other consumer tech companies, which are integrating, you know, embedding finance and financial services, that to know... What is the best way to reach, uh, you know, FIS for, you know, figuring out a new sort of partnership or if they want to, you know, utilize your, your products or services to launch financial services of their own? What is the best way to reach reach FIS today? Uh, see, uh, we are currently you will need to reach our uh, sales uh, consultants. Uh, hopefully uh, in, in very soon we will have uh, proper platforms through which people can automatically reach out. Uh, okay. Uh, but right now it is through the sales construct, but then post having reached a sales rep, rep or a partnership uh, rep of the company, uh, we've started ironing out processes internally to make sure it's a seamless integration and uh, a very quick uh, uh, go to market. Uh, that's what we have uh, doing as a start. Uh, and then we will get there to the next level, uh, Amit. Right, right, thank you. So this has been a very, very interesting discussion. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, the audience will really enjoy once once this comes out. Thank you so much, uh, Sujata, for taking time and uh, coming to our podcast. Uh, uh, you know, and thanks, Alil, for uh, co-hosting this with me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Sujata. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to all of you and um, looking forward to stay connected on a lot more.